he's hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Just when you thought the NDP couldn't get any more kooky, kooky left, they do. There's a battle for the soul of Canada's Socialist Party, the party that almost took power if it hadn't been for Tom Mulcair and the kneecab, along with Justin Trudeau and his dreamy looks and his flowing hair. Tom Mulcair and the beard. He could be our prime minister right now. See, Mulcair tried to show that the New Democrats were reasonable, responsible socialists. Mulcair tried to show that it was a new New Democratic Party. You know, they've been the NDP. They've been the New Democrats for longer than I've been alive. At what point do they stop being new? They're still socialists. They voted on whether to keep socialists in their constitution at their last big meeting, and they decided, yep, we're still socialists. And this meeting coming up this weekend in Edmonton, or as I like to call it, Redmonton, it is the most left-wing place in all of Alberta, Well, they're going to prove that they're socialists. See, the far left wing of the NDP buys into the narrative that they lost the last election, that they failed to secure power because they weren't left wing enough. Not because their support in Quebec cratered when Tom Mulcair came out and said, no, wearing in a cab at a citizenship ceremony is great. It's great! He sounded like Tony the Tiger selling you some frosted flakes. They don't believe that that had anything to do with losing the election. And they don't believe that the rise of Justin Trudeau, who strangely held the same opinion but was not held to account on that by voters of the media in Quebec, just Mulcair. And once his support cratered in Quebec over the NACAB, it started to fall apart elsewhere because... The progressive side just wanted one thing. They didn't care whether the prime minister was Trudeau or Mulcair. They just wanted Harper out. So Mulcair tanks in Quebec, then he tanks everywhere else. It all relates back to the NACAB. It has nothing to do with him being too centrist and promising balanced budgets. But people like Abby Lewis, his wife, Naomi Klein... Libby Davies, the former MP from Vancouver and some others, they actually believe that, well, they weren't sufficiently left-wing enough. So they've come up, well, they actually released this during the election. They released it in September. It's called the Leap Manifesto. They want the NDP to jump even further left. So you've got... People, they've got 34,612 signatures saying, let's adopt socialism. Who's on the list? Maud Barlow, of course. Judy Rebick, of course. Neil Young, of course. Jan Martel, has he checked out of this hotel known as Canada yet? Roy McMurtry, I love this the former PC cabinet minister, has gone full socialist. I always thought he was one anyway. David Suzuki, Clayton Ruby, Charles Taylor, Gord Downey from The Tragically Hip, 
Leonard Cohen, a lot of these lefties don't even live in Canada. Alanis Morissette, does she still have a place in Ottawa? I don't know. But most of, the, you know, a good chunk of these, the celebrity ones, don't even live in Canada. And they want Canada to adopt some pretty crazy things. But I, I'm not just here to point out that this is pretty crazy for the NDP. I'll also explain how this is already the policy ideals of the guys running the prime minister's office. Let me read to you from the Leap Manifesto. They say, We could live in a country powered entirely by renewable energy woven together by accessible public transit in which the jobs and opportunities of this transition are designed to systematically eliminate racial and gender equality. Caring for one another and caring for the planet could be the economy's fastest growing sectors. Many more people could have higher wage jobs with fewer work hours, leaving us ample time to enjoy our loved ones and flourish in our communities. The leap must begin by respecting the inherent rights entitled of the original caretakers of this land. Indigenous community. Hold on. Rights and titles of the original caretaker. They actually don't believe in private property. So how do you have a right and title to something? Anyways, they go on to to talk about the need to uh, fully implement the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous Peoples and essentially turn over Canada to Canada's native community. Now we get into the whole idea of Canada getting 100% of its electricity from renewable resources within two decades and have a 100% clean economy. They say, we demand that this shift begin now. There is no longer an excuse for building new infrastructure projects that lock us into increased extraction decades into the future. The new iron law of energy development must be, if you wouldn't want it in your backyard, then it doesn't belong in anyone's backyard. That applies equally to Oil and gas pipelines, fracking in New Brunswick, Quebec, and British Columbia, increased tanker traffic off our coasts, and to Canadian-owned mining projects the world over. They essentially want us to shut down our oil and gas industry, which is going to be difficult for the hundreds of thousands of us just here in Ottawa alone that heat our homes with natural gas, which, by the way, these pipelines taking natural gas straight into your house. There's little gas lines all over the place. But they want you to be afraid of pipelines. You know who else wants you to be afraid of pipelines and believes that all our natural resources should be staying in the ground? His name is Jerry Butts. And Jerry Butts is the principal secretary. I believe that's still his title. If not, he is the horse whisperer to Justin Trudeau. This is the man that whispers in the prince's ear. They have been best buds since university, which, despite everyone saying Justin Trudeau was a very young man, is more than 20 years ago for Mr. Trudeau. They are ideological soulmates. And Jerry Butts is one of the reasons that Justin Trudeau is in the position he's in right now. So when the NDP's leap manifesto talks about making sure that we no longer build new infrastructure projects like pipelines, that we leave the fossil fuels in the ground and go to a zero-carbon economy. They're actually mimicking Jerry Butts. Oh, and by the way, they're also mimicking a guy named Marlo Reynolds. See, Jerry Butts used to head up the World Wildlife Fund of Canada. Before that, he was Dalton McGuinty's principal secretary. He's the guy that helped bring you Ontario's green energy plan. All those lovely windmills all over the place, 
yeah, that would be the work of Jerry Butts. That higher hydro price that you have to pay every month on your electricity bill, that would be Jerry Butts, ladies and gentlemen. I warned about this during the election, that if you liked what Ontario's liberals did to Ontario, Ontario, you're going to love what Jerry Butts and crew will do to Canada, which is drive up the cost of everything. The wackiness that is in the NDP is also in the Prime Minister's office. As I said, Jerry Butts used to head up the World Wildlife Fund. He signed on to documents calling for a zero-carbon economy, calling for an end to the, these infrastructure projects that lock us into increased extraction. I mean, the language is almost identical. He signed off on them. So did Marlo Reynolds, who used to head up another environmental group called the Pembina Institute. He's now the chief of staff to Catherine McKenna, the MP for Ottawa Centre and Canada's Minister of the Environment and Climate Change. The NDP, with this leap manifesto, if they embrace it, will not only be signaling that they are uh, crazy still, and we'll get into more of this later on in the show, they'll not only be signaling that they are going back to kooky socialism, but on some things, they'll be signaling that they're on side with the PM. The PM's office already embraces this. That should be worrisome for everyone in this country that believes that we need an economy that draws on the strengths that we have. And the strengths that we have include drawing what we can out of the ground. Extracting the natural resources that we have. If you applied this same mentality to farming, we would never grow anything. Well, we've got to leave it in the ground. I'm sorry, you can't pull that carrot. Carrots have to stay in the ground. We have been blessed with an abundance of natural resources in this country. Some of them are renewable. Others are not. But we have been blessed with them. And to say that we're going to leave them in the ground to save the planet when global warming hasn't been happening since 1998, the UN says that, not me. This is the height of insanity. But it is the religion that those who are in power adhere to. We'll take your calls on that later on in the show. I'm Brian Lilly. If you want to get in touch with me now, Beyond the News at CFRA.com. Beyond the News at CFRA.com. Lots of fun stuff coming up for you in the show, including talking to some folks about um, the attempt to spread windmills across eastern Ontario. What a blight that will be on the skyline. That and more Leap Manifesto coming up. Listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. Uh, I love socialists, mostly because they're crazy. Do you ever get that idea that socialists are just crazy? They live in a an odd little world where unicorns and Unicorn farts and pixie dust can power the entire world. As I said, more on the Leap Manifesto later on. 
Uh, right now, though, I'm going to look at a couple of news stories that um, are catching my eye. Let's put it that way. And I keep a close eye on the uh, on the U.S. presidential campaign. The voters will be heading to the polls in Wisconsin, and Donald Trump is trailing once again. Not just by a little, but by a lot. Like some polls as much as 10 points. Only one poll recently has put Trump in the lead. Only one. But Trump still says it's going to be a huge victory for him. I really believe tomorrow we're going to have a very, very big victory. You ever notice that the words he uses, they're always very, very short it's like reading a Dr. Zeus book, Cat in the Hat. Now, I know many of you are friends with him, but, or not friends, but fans of Donald Trump. But he honestly does speak at a grade five level. Now, I know his vocabulary is bigger than that, and I don't want to hear big, long words, and I don't want to hear a, a political science dissertation, but give me a break. Meanwhile, the other uh, front runner continues to show off her arrogance. That would be Hillary Clinton. Clinton last week, um, I don't know if you saw this video. Uh, if you haven't, it's up at Truth Revolt. I may have posted it on Facebook. And it is Hillary Clinton yelling at a Greenpeace activist. And the activist just stops and asks, will you stop taking money from fossil fuels? Because, you know, to the left, as we were discussing with the Leap Manifesto and Jerry Butts at the PMO, to the left, fossil fuels are the worst thing ever. Ever. Now hurry up, i got to go catch a plane. So she's asked this by a Greenpeace activist on a rope line, and Clinton just starts yelling at her, saying, one, she doesn't take the money, even though her campaign or the super PACs attached to her have taken $4.5 million. She's yelling at her and pointing her finger in her, like jabbing, like that. Sorry if that hurt your ears. But I'm trying to make a point, and you can't see my hand waving in the air. So she just keeps yelling about this and looking nasty. I've never seen Hillary look so nasty. Well, she's on Good Morning America today and saying, yep, she's going to win Wisconsin and New York and just look at how great I am. If you look at the number of pledged delegates, I am significantly ahead. And after all, that's what determines the outcome. If you look at the popular vote, I have uh, close to nine million votes. That's a million more than Donald Trump and Two and a half million more than uh, Senator Sanders. All of that may be true, but she still just sounds arrogant. She just, it drips out of her. I don't think she can help it. The voters go to the polls tomorrow in uh, Wisconsin. I believe they go to, that's for the Republicans. Are they there? Yep, they're there tomorrow for uh, the Democrats as well. And then... Just trying to, oh, April 19th is when the New York, New York uh, primary is going to be. That one's going to be huge. You got uh, Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump both amuse me because they both say huge the same way. Uh, Trump is from Queens. Sanders is from Brooklyn. Hillary Clinton's actually from Chicago, then went to Arkansas and is now in um now in living in uh, or calls New York home. Really, she's a Washington person. Uh, let's go to somebody else who's a big progressive and also very annoying. I'm talking about Alison 
Redford. She is the former premier of Alberta, and let's just say that she had a lot of ethical issues. She tried to have a whole a penthouse suite, a luxury penthouse suite, put into a government office building across the street from the legislature. They called it the Princess Palace. She ended up having to abandon the plans. There was so much public pressure. But then it turns out there were allegations that she was awarding contracts to a Calgary law firm close to her. And yeah. So she was cleared by the ethics commissioner. Now, former Supreme Court Justice Frank Iacobucci has been looking into it. And he's saying, yeah, no, we got we got to we got to look at this again. Certainly she is no longer a sitting MLA, but I think it's um, it's really critical that the, the government be able to be uh, accountable to the public in the right sort of way, right? And it's I think people still have outstanding questions arising from this matter. Sorry, that was Alberta's current Justice Minister, Kathleen Ganley, uh, New Democrat. The fact that she's a New Democrat doesn't mean she's any further to the left of uh, Alison Redford. But uh, I, I think Redford's going to be looked into uh, at this. Just always remember that. There's too many politicians. We'll get into this with Patrick Brown coming up at 8 o'clock, the head of the PC Party of Ontario. Too many politicians looking to grease palms, look after each other. Patrick Brown joining us at the top of the next hour to discuss the fundraising rules in Ontario and how we've seen too many people get um, questionable conduct, shall we call it? You know? Fundraising off of people that you regulate? Yeah, kind of odd. Brian Lilly, Beyond the News, News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly. Join the resistance on Facebook and Twitter at CFRA Ottawa. not going to be a good little while for new democrats for the left the people of saskatchewan are voting today and by all accounts brad wall will be returned for a third consecutive term new democrats will be lucky to hold the seats that they have my friend elise mills is out there right now she's the head of conservative voice and is working her butt off, along with thousands and thousands of others, to you know, keep that one beachhead that we have at the provincial level. It hasn't been a good time for conservatives lately. They, they've lost pretty much every provincial election there's been. Uh, the Liberal Party in British Columbia, you could kind of say, is a center-right coalition. It's a coalition of liberals and conservatives used to keep back the NDP hordes. Hordes with a D. Uh, that's the same thing in Saskatchewan where Wall leads the Saskatchewan party. Next door, though, in Manitoba, they will be heading to the polls shortly. They're in the middle of an election. It's later this month. It may be the 19th. I'll look that up. And there is a good chance that Brian Pallister, the PC leader, could t- could win that and send the, um, the, Saskatch- or the Manitoba NDP packing. So that would be a good thing because we need fewer leftists. We need fewer progressives in power. We need to start winning the argument 
in building a good case. One thing I love about Brad Wall is he doesn't call himself liberal or conservative because his party is a coalition, but he always speaks about people that support free enterprise. If you enjoy the life that you have, well, thank the free enterprise system. Because to the extent that we have one in Canada, it brings about prosperity. And when we try and smother free enterprise, it reduces prosperity. Command and control economies do not work. They don't work in Cuba. They don't work in Venezuela where they're running out of toilet paper. They didn't work in Russia, the Soviet Union. They didn't work throughout the East Bloc. My friend Peter tells the story of getting married in Poland, and he had a choice between would he buy new shoes or uh, buy vodka. And instead, he needed shoes for his wedding. And so he and his uh, bride, his wife-to-be, had to ask relatives and friends and family, essentially, to save their vodka rations. Don't drink all of your vodka rations. Put aside a little bit for us for the wedding so that we can have some booze to serve at the party. Because they didn't have enough of anything in Poland under the communist system. And you speak to people that lived under communist systems, socialist systems, that's how it worked. My own grandmother, on a waiting list for uh, a new apartment in socialist Scotland from before the end of the Second World War, before my mother was born in 1944, all the way until about 1962, I think they got their apartment. 1960, 62, no, 60, 1960. My mother was 16 when they got their new apartment. Government owned all the apartments. You had to wait for a council house. Didn't matter if she could afford it, couldn't afford it. You had to wait for them to give you your house. About 18 years she was on that waiting list. Insanity. Now, speaking of insanity, let's go back to this Leap Manifesto. It's great reading. I'll make sure I post it up on Facebook later on. Um, so they want to, uh, to make sure that the, the, the fossil fuels stay in the ground because they don't want a carbon-based economy. And I had mentioned that Jerry Butts, the prime minister's top guy, believes that as well. Here's what Butts said in May 2012. We don't think there should be a carbon-based energy industry by the middle of this century. The real alternative is not an alternative route. It's an alternative economy. That's what he was uh, said when responding to a question about the Northern Gateway Pipeline. That was the pipeline that was supposed to go from the oil sands around Fort McMurray to the northern B.C. coastline where freighters with oil tankers would then come in and carry the product to markets in Asia, like China, like India, places that are thirsting for this product and will buy it somewhere else if we don't provide it to them. The real alternative is not an alternative route. It's an alternative economy. The prime minister's top advisor does not believe that we should be in the natural resources business. They've already killed off Northern Gateway. It went through an extensive environmental process. They killed it off. Why? Because they don't believe in tankers off of the the B.C. coast. They act as if there's no oil tankers anywhere. There are oil tankers that go up and down the St. Lawrence all the time. 
Also in this Leap Manifesto, we call for an end to all trade deals that interfere with our attempts to rebuild local economies, regulate corporations, and stop damaging extractive projects. These people have obviously never tried to start a corporation. These people have obviously never tried to start a business. The regulation is incredible. In certain sectors, it's worse than others. I'm talking to you from the studios of a radio station right now. You would not believe the strangling regulations on the broadcast industry in this country. The regulations are unbelievable. And I can understand a certain level of regulation. You can't have everyone setting up a radio station at, you know, 580 a.m. or 93.9 f.m. You've got to be able to say, okay, you have this signal for this territory. They have it for that territory. You, You don't want it colliding. But the regulations are insane. And the regulations just for Ottawa market is even something else. But that's a story for another day. They have not tried to start a a company. They have not tried to start a business. That's why they think that there's no regulations on corporations. They say they want to rebalance the scales of justice. We should ensure immigration status and full protection for all workers. Recognizing Canada's contributions to military conflicts and climate change, primary drivers of the global refugee crisis, we must welcome refugees and migrants seeking safety and a better life. Let me back up there a little bit. Recognizing Canada's contributions to military conflicts and climate change. They're trying to push the idea that the that climate change is at the heart of the refugee crisis. That has been debunked. They want to uh, shift the economy. They say shifting to an economy in balance with the Earth's limits also means expanding the sectors of our economy that are already low carbon. Caregiving, teaching, social work, the arts, public interest media, following on Quebec's lead a national child care program as long past due. So we'll all just be teachers and social workers and public interest media, meaning media paid for by the government. This is the Leap Manifesto. They also say a universal basic annual income. Pioneered in Manitoba in the 1970s, this sturdy safety net could help ensure that no one is forced to take work that threatens their children's tomorrow just to feed those children today. And we declare that austerity, which has systematically attacked the low-carbon sectors like education and healthcare while starving public transit and forcing reckless energy privatizations, is a fossilized form of thinking that has become a threat to life on Earth. The Leap Manifesto, soon to be embraced by the New Democrats. As I explained to you last week, there's no austerity. Stephen Harper took the federal government spending from $219 billion to $279 billion. He then scaled it back to $276 billion. Do the math. What is that? He still went up by $57 billion. They're complaining about a small retraction. $57 billion increase is austerity to the leftists. At the Ontario level, where the energy privatization is happening, are we facing lower spending? No, we're facing higher spending and higher debt. But remember, many of the policies here are supported by Trudeau's advisors or his cabinet ministers. They're already talking about the idea of a national uh, basic income at the federal level again. They're talking about a national daycare program again. They support stopping the ability of the oil and gas sector to operate in this country. And they support forcing us into a low carbon economy, whether we want it or not. They actually would prefer a zero carbon economy. During the break, I'll post a 
a list of all the things that we take for granted that come from oil. Things that you don't even realize have oil in them. Things that we would have to do without if we got rid of this industry. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. When we come back, talking the Panama Papers. hated in official Ottawa, which is okay in our books. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. The countdown is on. The countdown for finding out that uh, people in Saskatchewan have uh, learned from what their crazy neighbors in Alberta did. Uh, and will not vote for the new Democrats. Hmm. Hmm. Polls will close in just over two hours' time now. Meanwhile, the left is freaking out over something else, and unfortunately there's an awful lot of people who aren't doing anything wrong that are going to get caught up in this because it turns out some people have been putting money into investments, corporations, and yes, maybe even tax shelters. In Panama, now, you you have to know that, yes, some of this is going to be crooked. Some of this is going to be people hiding money. And then there's going to be some that it's perfectly legal, perfectly legitimate. But the left will never accept that, and they're going to smear everyone. And so the Toronto Star has been the lead on this. CBC's picked up on it as well, and they're going after this tax shelter, tax haven, whatever you want to call it, in Panama. Did you know that it is legal. It is your legal right to structure your tax filing and your finances in whatever way you can within the law to pay the lowest amount of tax possible. Now, most people when looking after their own money actually do that. That's how most people try and operate. But the left doesn't like that. They want you to pay more. In fact, They believe that your money is government money, and really, you just get an allowance. And if you're rich, well, all your money should go to the government. That's why you have to pay your fair share. So all of these people are being smeared. Is it legitimate? Evan Solomon spoke to uh, Paul Diogardi earlier today about the Panama Papers and what's real and what's a lot of hooey. They're called the Panama Papers, and a consortium of journalists called the International Consortium of Investigative Journalists. About 100 global news organizations have got together, and they've published a series of papers on offshore accounts uh, that feature business people, politicians, celebrities, sporting stars, and may implicate everybody from Vladimir Putin to FIFA, the soccer The problem is, implicate them in what exactly? Is this legal or illegal, or is this just a window into, if you're rich, where people put their money and what happens around the world? Paul 
Diogardi is a tax resolution lawyer, and he is going to fill us in on the impact of the Panama Papers. Paul, thanks for being here. You're very welcome. T- tell us about what the Panama Papers, in a nutshell, have, what questions these have raised. What does it tell us? Well, it's a question of, you're quite right, you put your finger right on it. Are people doing legal or illegal things? Now, it could be a little bit of both. Uh, the big people have been doing it for years. I, I've been a tax lawyer for 50 years and uh, on both sides of the fence. I was uh, trained at head office of what was called the Department of National Revenue and a head, head office of the Department of Justice Tax Litigation. So I've been on both sides of the fence. I've also, I'm also a member of the Bar of Ontario, British Columbia, and the Turks and Caicos Islands. So I've been kicking around tax havens for many years, and I've seen a lot of things. So uh, the answer to your question is that some people are doing illegal things, but a lot of people are doing quite legal transactions. For example, I noticed that uh, the Toronto Star has in its list people buying condominiums and corporations. Well, so what? Uh, they may want to put it into a corporation and report the income, report any profits, but usually it's a loss, but report any profits. Uh, and uh, they may want to do that for a, uh, a good business reason. For example, if they rent out the condominium uh, and somebody hurts themselves, they wouldn't want to get sued personally. So normally they would put it into a, into a corporation. corporation. An offshore right. corporation is logical. On the other hand, there are people doing all kinds of deals where um, uh, it, it may be illegal, and uh, they may be hiding money, uh, but, you know... Well, this is it. The, the allegation... is a tax haven, as so is the United States, Delaware corporations. Uh, just think about people investing, uh, non-residents investing in Canadian real estate. We may be a, uh, a big wash bucket here, washing money. Well, this, well this is the allegation, that, that various heads of state are essentially using offshore accounts to avoid paying tax, full stop. Is that happening? It could be happening, but my real question is, how does it affect Canadians? Now, Canadians are, unless it's Canadians that are doing it, or unless they're using our country for illegal tax evasion from their own, uh, from their own governments, it doesn't really affect us. It's very sensational when you see the president, maybe the, the, the uh, Ukraine Putin involved and other, other people involved, right. but... Yeah. PMs uh, we've got Iceland. we've got tax evasion in Canada. We're we're used as a tax haven by non-residents, and uh, you know we also have provisions in our tax law that allows non-residents to invest uh, in uh, in uh, municipal bonds, federal bonds, where there's no withholding tax, or foreign foreign uh, money in Canadian banks. There's no withholding tax. So can you? So uh, let let's dig into. Okay, let's talk about Vladimir Putin. They say he had some complicated offshore scheme involving one of his buddies. And again, the problem is it's like kind of trying to follow a piece of spaghetti when you're served a whole bowl. I mean, it's under a mush of sauce here. Is well, it's it, all is speculation. It, is it, is it, That's it, the problem. Right. They, they, okay. You know, as they say, it's sensationalism. I mean, what has Vladimir Putin got to do with us unless he's using Canada? That's my point. And he's not using Canada from the looks of it. What I'm saying is other non-residents are using Canada as a tax haven, and right. they're using Delaware in the United States. So, you know, we're not, we're not so pure in Canada. We, we allow people – look at the poor people in Toronto and Vancouver trying to buy houses, and they're being bid up by people who are possibly putting in, uh, right. in um, unclean money. Let me put it that way. legitimate. you're not blown away by the Panama Papers. No, they're not. But we should be we should be smart because Canada is a wonderful place to invest. We should be charging them money to put their money here, 
and use it to pay for our infrastructure instead of borrowing all kinds of money to do it. Now, we need to pay for it. Let them pay for it. So all you got to do is look around in Vancouver. Like I'm a member of the British Columbia Bar. I mean, I see the, the prices of houses there are ridiculous, and, and the money's coming from offshore in many right. cases. And the poor people can't afford to buy houses because the British Columbia government is sitting there and not really saying to these people, hey, you want to buy luxury houses in Vancouver? Well, we're going to charge you a lot of money. We're going to charge right. you money because you're a non-resident. Maybe they we don't need, do that. Maybe we need the Port of Vancouver. That's the, end of the, that's the other end of the stick. <laughs> pa- and pa- it's something we can do something about. And the same thing in Toronto. Yeah. Paul Diagardi, the uh, tax resolution lawyer on the Panama Papers, is it sensational? But uh, my question is, it may not look good, but is it, is it legal? And what's going on? Paul gives us a real good perspective on that. Paul, thanks so much. You're very welcome. All right. Informative because, yeah, he kind of he kind of pricked that balloon with a nice big needle, didn't he? Uh, everyone's going to be running around claiming tax cheat, tax cheat, tax cheat. Remember, the people screaming it, they always think taxes need to be higher, except for their own. When we come back, if we want to get talk about dirty money, let's talk about the Ontario Liberals and their fundraising of ministers taking money from lobbyists and companies that they are in the middle of regulating at very high-end fundraisers where they're promised intimate FaceTime. Ontario PC Party leader Patrick Brown will join us to talk about prospective changes and Kathleen Wynne's change of heart. That's coming up just after the news. I'm Brian Lilly. This is News Talk 580 CFRA. Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. We intend to bring forward legislation in this spring. I have said publicly in the fall, but we're going to move that up, Mr. Speaker, because I agree I agree with the contention that people in the province need to have a good long opportunity for input, Mr. Speaker. If we bring forward legislation in the spring, there can be a, a good consultation with the public on that legislation. I found out how to make Kathleen Wynne's voice sound good. You place some Ellie Kane under her. Wow. That was the premiere this morning in Queen's Park. A bit of a rambling answer, but the man that's on the phone with me now, Patrick Brown, leader of Ontario's Progressive Conservative Party, was asking some pointed questions. Uh, Mr. Brown, welcome to the program. It's great to be on the show again. You, you were asking specifically about cabinet ministers fundraising off of people they regulate. And I, I have seen some mas- masterful dodges and weaves by politicians of all stripes over the years. But this was something special in a question period at Queen's Park this morning. Well, it's, uh, it's unjustifiable. The, the reality is under Kathleen Wynne, they have completely blended the lines between the Liberal Party of Ontario and the province of Ontario. Kathleen Wynne has given mandates, fundraising mandates for her ministers, some as high as $500,000. And so you have ministers fundraising on the stakeholders in their department, the people looking for contracts for the government, the people that are trying to affect policy decisions are then being asked by the ministers and the ministers' teams to to donate to the Liberal Party. It's unethical, it's inappropriate, uh, and it leads to bad public policy. And l- let me give you two examples. You know, on the uh, fire sale of Hydro One, the syndicate that was in charge of the sale and made $29 million 
then did a, a thank you dinner for the government with the Minister of Finance and the Minister of Energy there, and they gave the Liberal Party 165000 You know, or, we, we've seen this before, and you were elected in 2006 at the federal level as the result of the public being disgusted at the government and the, the governing party, the Liberals once again, blending their fundraising and government business together, they, the whole ad scam scandal. You think they would have learned from the sponsorship scandal, but what we're seeing is that they haven't, and it is the Wild West of fundraising here. You know, Brian, to give you another example, the government just announced these renewable wind contracts. Uh, and by the way, we have a surplus of energy. We've given away $3.5 billion. We don't need any more um, energy when we're giving it to our competitors. But they just signed a bunch of new contracts, and the people that were getting the contracts Surprise, surprise, they're attending a fundraiser with the Minister of Energy for $6,000 a plate. Like, it's not right. It's not appropriate. And Kathleen Wynne should immediately tell her ministers this shouldn't be allowed in the province of Ontario. The Globe and Mail, in an editorial on the weekend, was saying this may be actually against the law. Do you think that they've blended it that much where you've got people essentially... To me, it smacks of buying access. Do you think that we have seen a breach of the law. Well, and and that will have to be investigated, but the the reality is that Queen's Park right now, you can buy public policy. Uh, It's about buying access to the government. And everyone knows you want to be heard from this government, then you you have to attend one of their high-priced fundraisers. And, you know, Kathleen Wynne is now saying she's willing to sit down with me and talk about it. But the only reason she is, she got caught. She got caught by an expose of but all she the claim, papers. She claims you didn't care about this before. Charles Souza, oh, yeah, right. I mean, you know, and, and, booming and, and, in, in QP. And typical liberal you know, spin, they voted down our private members' bills on cleaning up the financial rules on Ontario. We put it for a vote, and they voted against it. We've tried it a number of, ti- a number of times. And, I, and, I, and by the way, I'm shocked about how they govern themselves here at Queen's Park. I, I'm coming from the federal scene where corporate and union donations aren't permitted, where ministers are not allowed to fundraise with anyone involved with their, with their ministry. So, you know, as this became, uh, as, as the details came out, I have to tell you, Brian, I, I was shocked. Like, this is well, beyond appropriate, beyond I, inappropriate. I, I remember uh, questions being raised. Um, I believe it was Bev Oda when she was heritage minister. And not to pick on Bev Oda, but she was heritage minister and someone threw a fundraiser and it wasn't corporate or union donations, but people in the industry bought tickets. And you can't even give that much at the federal level. And this became an issue that they were buying access. Uh, Meanwhile, you've got $6,000 ahead for an intimate dinner with Bob. By the way, firebob.ca. If you haven't signed up on the petition yet, firebob.ca. Uh, and, I, and I would say that was inappropriate for Bev Oda to do, um, it, but it was hundreds of dollars, um, and it was immediately denounced. What we're seeing here is people buying 17000 a plate dinners for the, for the Liberal uh, annual gala for $6,000 for chicken with Bob. I'm sorry. No one, unless they're trying to get influence, is paying $6,000 for dinner with Bob. There's a great Swiss chalet near his uh, house here in Ottawa. I mean, you can go there. It's a lot cheaper than 6000 but I don't think he's going to have dinner with me, Patrick. Uh, l- let me ask you this. Do we have to go uh, the route that is at the federal level? Is it become, do you think it, the public's going to be turned off enough that we have to say no more union and corporate donations and let's lower the limits? 
Yeah, I want to see a phase out of uh, an ending union and corporate donations. Um, and I've I pushed that before. I'm going to continue to push it and I'm going to continue to expose the government. It's the right thing to do. And you know what people tell me, you know, what's going to happen if the political parties don't have funds? And my response has been, you know what, they should get better at, at earning the support of of small donations from regular folks around the province. And frankly, if, if political parties had less money, maybe they'll spend less money on attack ads. Maybe it would actually be good for the province uh, of Ontario. I think it would be good for our there's, democracy. There's no shortage of attack ads at the federal level, Patrick, no. and no shortage of money. Yeah, You guys all figured it out at the federal level. And you know what? The, 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 the political parties will adjust. But I, what you're seeing is a complete abuse of, of the election finance regulations in Ontario, and I'm not going to give up on this until Catherine Wynne changes the rules. I, I'll, I'll tell you what would be good with it, is that when you have to rely on, on the actual public instead of big donors, then if you annoy the public, your funds are going to dry up. You can't just go to a sugar daddy somewhere and collect big checks. You've no, got and- to find good public policy, and if you don't, People are, and I'm sure you've had this in your own political career. Someone will say, you know what, you really annoyed me on that. I'm cutting off my donations. And that's the way it should be. It, it, it creates a cleaner system, it, it creates a more honest system. Um, you know, I, I, I believe Kathleen Wynne should apologize to the people of Ontario that this, that this conduct has happened under her watch, that she set fundraising targets for her ministers uh, with people who do business with the province of Ontario. And I challenged the Premier, I challenged all her ministers today to say that unequivocally this conduct uh, isn't uh, appropriate. And she couldn't. And she couldn't. She wouldn't answer the question. I know you got an event to go to, so two quick questions. One, do you think that we're going to see real consultation from her? I, I just personally don't trust her. Well, you know, I think she's been shamed and embarrassed into having to act. I, I, I think, you know, there's such overwhelming public sentiment that what they've done is inappropriate, that she, she, she's going to, kicking and screaming, relent to some form of changes. I just hope it goes far enough. Okay. Well, we'll uh, touch base with you again about that later. I, w- I want to ask you quickly, uh, at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to be bringing on a gentleman who is part of one of the groups opposed to windmills in the nation township, just you know, east, southeast of Ottawa, they don't want the windmills, but the province is saying you don't have a choice. It's inappropriate the fact that they're they're forcing these wind turbines. In many cases, uh, you know, from foreign companies where they're they're sending signing twenty year contracts with companies in South Korea and China, putting them in municipalities that don't want them, uh, rural areas that don't want them. It's wrong. It's inappropriate. I would cancel that policy if I was premier. Uh, and further, if go go back, we're buying energy. We're signing contracts for energy we do not need. We're giving away energy because we've signed all these ridiculous contracts at uncompetitive rates where other people are signing renewables in Quebec and Manitoba for way cheaper. It's, it's almost unbelievable what they're doing. This is the reason our hydro bills are so expensive because they're, they're allowing wind companies to buy $6,000 dinners with Bob, and Bob isn't making the right public policy decisions. <laughs> Pat, a nice connection there. Patrick Brown, leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party. Thanks sorry, for the time. Sorry to rant so much about this, but, it just, but, but uh, I no, can't believe it. They are connected. They yeah. are connected, I'm sure. Thanks for the time. My pleasure. All right. Uh, we'll uh, we'll make sure we post that up later on and share share his comments with your, your friends and family. Patrick Brown, leader of the Ontario Progressive Conservative Party. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News on News Talk 580 CFRA.
if you are of a certain age right now, you're imagining either you holding a boombox over your head or somebody outside your window holding a boombox over your head playing Peter Gabriel. A little bit of a Say Anything reference. John Cusack in his younger days. Peter Gabriel is the next big concert in the CFRA Rocks Contest. We're not giving away anything right now. I just happen to love Peter Gabriel's, and it's my show, so I'm going to play Peter Gabriel. But every day this week, you can qualify to win, and it's Peter Gabriel with Sting in Montreal, July 5th at the Bell Center. Not only that, but you get to stay at the Hotel Bonaventure in Montreal. Been there many times for different events to cover. I've never stayed there. You know, it's the life of a reporter. You go in and out of hotels where they hold conferences. This place is amazing. they got this heated rooftop outdoor pool that's even open in the winter. You're right near the Bell Center. You're walking distance to Old Montreal. And you don't even have to worry about traveling there. If you win, you just get to uh, take the train down. And if you've never traveled via one, it's pretty freaking fantastic. Anyway, yeah, starting tomorrow morning, 7.35 on the Morning uh, Rush with Bill Carroll. That's where you can do it. So, Peter Gabriel, Sting. Come on, hold the boombox up. Hold the boombox up. Turn up that volume. Say anything. <laughs> oh, man. I'm just reliving my youth here. We can cut the music now. Thank you, Stephen. Thank you for putting up with me. Sometimes I think uh, Stephen just sits in the control room and wonders what the heck I'm on about. Well, we were speaking with Patrick Brown about liberals looking after themselves with their weird fundraisers. Well, let's talk about another group of liberals looking after themselves. I mentioned this to you last week, and a bunch of you responded and signed on to the petition at stopthepayhike.ca. Thousands of people have signed up, but we need to get it bigger. We need more people signing on and saying, you know what? MPs should not be boosting their own bottom line while telling us that the rest of us are hurting. Well, the middle class is hurting. The middle class and they're struggling to join it. Hate that phrase. But you hear it from every single liberal politician. We're there for the middle class and those that want to join it. Except for Judy Foote, because Judy Foote, yeah, she's something special. Minister of Public Works is just worth revisiting because you're not hearing it anywhere else. Judy Foote, Minister of Public Works, reacting to my questions on the whole idea of MPs getting a pay hike. Now, I can actually argue that the middle class is not struggling. I can show you the data points on that, but this is the government that says the middle class is struggling. And yet, and yet... She's out there defending her pay hike. Do you have a, a, a comment on that? A lot of Canadians aren't getting any pay raises. What do you make of, uh, of the pay raises for MPs and ministers? Well, I think if it's uh, deserved, then uh, like everybody else who gets a raise, then, uh, you know, we work for that raise. Uh, I'm, I don't uh, regret uh, getting a raise. I mean, it's, it's something that you work hard for, as most Canadians do. But uh, I appreciate for those that who don't get to pay pay raise that they would have a difficult time accepting it. Really? That is one of the most tone-deaf answers, or was one of the most tone-deaf answers, that I thought I could hear from a politician. And then 
I decided to ask a follow-up question because remember during the election, Judy Foote is now a cabinet minister making $251,400. She's defending a $4,500 pay raise that she just gave to herself. And during the election, she and her fellow liberals were railing against the wealthy in this candidate, against the 1%. The 1% evil, they need to pay their fair share. By the way, she also got a pay raise of about $900 at least through the middle class tax cut. Yeah, she gets all of that as well. So does everyone else at the top. She gets more than somebody making $50,000 a year who maybe gets 100 bucks off in their taxes. She gets about 900 bucks. So I pushed back on Judy Foote and listened to this answer. You make about five times the average Canadian and you ran against the 1%, but you're definitely in the 1% now. So, I mean, isn't that a bit hypocritical? You know, you might think it's hypocritical, but the reality is is that I work hard for the, uh, for the money that I make, and uh, I will do it uh, any day of the week, and I do. And I do. Hmm. So, what do you think? Is it time to tell politicians to stop giving themselves pay raises? I would say so. Let's go back to freezing it. That's what Stephen Harper did when he he said the economy was bad. And guess what? It actually was bad back then. <gasps> Justin Trudeau just tells us it's bad, and that's why we need a giant infrastructure program. That's why we need to invest. We're not spending. We invest, is what Bill Morneau tells us. Well, they're investing in themselves, and I think it's wrong. So if you agree, then I invite you to go and sign the petition at stopthepayhike.ca. And you can see my video there at the website. And then at the bottom, it just says, uh, Justin Trudeau shouldn't raise the already generous salaries of our politicians. And we invite you to sign. I ask you to go to sign and then post it on Facebook, tweet it out, email it to your Aunt Mabel and Whitby, whatever you got to do. Help spread the word. Now, speaking of Facebook, and it's facebook.com slash Brian Lilly is where you'll find me. Uh, I did post that thing. How uh, products made from oil end up in your house? Click on that link and check out all the different products that are made with oil and then tell me what you um, could live without. And also video from the Leap Manifesto. Did you know that there's all kinds of oil products that end up in our clothes and not in an icky way? Think about that. You can check all of that out. Facebook.com slash Brian Lilly. When we come back, we'll talk about the issue of the province forcing windmills into rural eastern Ontario against the wishes of residents. I'm Brian Lilly. This is Beyond the News. You're listening to the leader of the unofficial opposition, the rebel himself, Beyond the News with Brian Lilly on News Talk 580 CFRA. I love waterfront views. And one of my favorites in eastern Ontario is in Kingston, standing down on Kingston's waterfront and looking out over Wolf Island. Well, I used to love that view, and now it is completely destroyed. It's been destroyed by the province and their decision to put up windmills all across the island. I don't know if you've been to Kingston lately, but that beautiful vista of looking out across the harbour in Kingston, looking out across to Wolf Island, seeing the greenery, and then past that to Lake Ontario, all you see now are windmills. It's a a visual pollution, a visual blight that I first saw, first time I saw a wind farm 
I was flying into Scotland to go visit my grandmother for her 100th birthday. And you always, I had seen them before, the, the rolling hills. You see them in movies, right? The rolling hills of places like Scotland and Ireland. There's not a spot not topped off with a windmill. And it just looks awful. They've destroyed the view in Kingston. They're about to be destroying views, along with a lot more, in eastern Ontario, as the province looks to put in and approve several wind farms in the nation municipality. So we're talking about the area basically stretching from Limoges almost to Van Cleek Hill, St. Bernardin area. Takes up um, St. Isidore, Castleman, St. Albert, Cur- uh, almost to Curran, that whole area. Massive wind farms. And the locals have said no. And the province is saying, you don't get a say. Steve Dick is with Save the Nation, joins me on the phone line now. Steve, fill us in on, on what exactly you guys are trying to, uh, to, to face down there. Brian, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's somewhat surreal, the process we've, we've had to endure over the last number of years. Uh, it started back in 2011 where the, the wind companies uh, came into the area in a clandestine manner and, and struck up um, a small committee of landowners in a very um, private way and without anybody knowing in the area to, to develop these, get these projects uh, started to plan them and get them developed without any knowledge uh, of what was going on. And before, you know, before we knew it, um, back in June of 2015, you know, we got the first notification that these massive projects were, were already planned and basically moving forward without any consultation yeah. with the public at all. We, we can't get a road approved in Ottawa and most municipalities in the province without massive public consultations. You get... Notices posted in the local newspapers, notices posted on the side of the road nearby. You you get, you know, mail outs to all the the neighborhoods. And and this, you didn't hear about it till it's approved? Basically, just before the approval process. And and I mean, really, the approval process, which only ran a couple of months, is really just a sham. It's just just to sort of placate, I guess, or or, uh, make it look like there is an approval process. But really, I mean, it was clear that it, it was going forward before they even let the public know what was going on. Now, is this just nimbyism from you and a few friends, or are the local municipalities against this as well? Uh, no, I, I mean, it's, it's broad-based. We did, a, we did a, a survey and a petition, and we had over 85% of the residents that were opposed to the wind turbines. And, I mean, it's, it's not just, you know, for simple reasons. It, it has a devastating impact on the community, on um, everything from health to the livelihood of the local residents and, and everything you've mentioned from from a point of well-being, um, you know, right down to impact on livestock and the wildlife and the environment. So it, people are educated now that the, the devastation that these things cause, and, and, you know, this community simply did not want this project right from the get-go. The, the, the stretch of 417, I, I hate driving down to Montreal because I've done it so often that I can get bored. But that stretch around St. Isidore, St. Bernard, in that area where you're just looking out over the most beautiful flat farmland in eastern Ontario, it is stunning, breathtaking views. That's going to be gone. So that that's my um, selfish view of it. I'm thinking about what I get to look at on the drive to Montreal. But you guys are, are going to be dealing with with real problems, as you said, for livestock, for crops, and so on. What are some of the uh, issues that the, the farming community is thinking of? 
Well, and this is where, you know, things get a little bit uh, complicated because the there's a small number of farmers that have signed these contracts with the wind companies, while the vast majority, um, you know, over 85%, are, are strongly opposed because they see the damage it's going to do to not only the community, but to the residents themselves. I mean, there, there's studies coming out from all over the world right now that demonstrate that the living in proximity to a wind, industrial wind turbine is actually uh, has negative impact on, on individuals' health. It's a cause of illness. And, you know, so there's, there's that element. There's the destruction of the local wildlife habitat, particularly uh, birds and bats, um, you know, that are desecrated by these turbines. Well, I'm glad you raised that because we, at the city of Ottawa, we've got this project to, um, to stop certain types of construction, a lot of concern because 30 birds died on the weekend with this overpass at City Hall, like a, a glass walkway at City mm-hmm. Hall. And there's a, oh, we've just got to do something. Meanwhile, we're putting up windmills that kill thousands of birds. I don't understand it. Well, exactly. And, and I mean, the migrating birds that come through this area, I've lived in the area for, for 30 years now, and this is a flyway for, for Canadian geese and for a lot of migrating birds. I'm not a birder myself, but, I mean, the sky is littered with birds, you know, um, when they're uh, through the flyway. And, and once these turbines go up, they reach 700 feet into the sky, these things. And the tip blade, you know, the blades spin, you know, at, at 500 kilometers an hour. I mean, the birds don't have a chance. They don't even see them coming. And uh, it's just like feeding them into a blender. And, you know, all of a sudden, that's okay. You know, it's, it's okay to, to, you know, for years, but we've been moving in the right direction to try and protect our, our endangered species and species.